0: Uh, I said a couple of things uh, during those weeks of protests. One, we don't retreat here in Detroit. Not what you saw in places where, uh, for Seattle, for example, uh, police officers being made to retreat from a police station and then six city blocks taking over by a group and say, you're no longer welcome here. And then crimes being committed and the police weren't even allowed to go in and conduct a proper dressing, who allows that to happen? Brothers and sisters! Brothers and sisters! I don't know what
1: this world is coming to! You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready, the Black and Blue podcast is coming at you right now. Welcome to the Black and Blue podcast. My name is Dale, I'm the host. Thank you for joining me. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you want to continue supporting the show, please like and subscribe to the Black & Blue Podcast YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, and click that bell icon on the YouTube channel so you can get notified of any new content. Also, check out the Black & Blue Podcast social media pages. You can find us on Black & Blue US on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all over the place. And of course, the website at www.blackandblue.us. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, let me introduce today's guest. He's the chief of police of one of our great American cities. Everyone, please help me welcome in Detroit, Michigan, Chief James Craig.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How you doing, sir? Hey, I'm good, Dale. How you doing? Excellent. Thank you for joining me. Well, let me just start out by saying uh, I want to applaud you for what you're doing. Uh, certainly bringing awareness uh, to black and blue, the thin blue line. And and certainly after 2020, uh, there needs to be more that are out there talking about some of the issues that are impacting our profession today. And so I'm honored that you would invite me in. Uh, And as we spoke off air, uh, the fact that I spent the lion's share of my policing career uh, in Los Angeles, LAPD. And so I know we have Uh, the state of California in common.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I thank you for your service over here and now over there in Detroit. Um, How how long have you been with Detroit now?
0: I'm uh, arriving, I'm coming up on my eighth year. Um, You know, prior to my uh, arrival or or my appointment, I should say, uh, the city was facing bankruptcy. It did go through bankruptcy. Uh, They had, had, they were changing chiefs out here in Detroit. one every year, year and a half. Uh, so over a period of about eight years, they had 10, 10 different chiefs. And so as you oh, wow. know, there's no stability. There was no stability. Uh, the morale was at the very bottom. Uh, police officers had 10% of their pay taken from them uh, because of the, the then state of affairs in the city of Detroit. Uh, and then the fact that it was taken The state took it over in like receivership and it was uh, governed by an emergency manager. So I came in on that administration. So very controversial here in Detroit. um, But uh, I was able to effectively weather that storm and we were able to get some great things done.
1: Yeah, let's definitely talk about that. That sort of stuff um you know the receivership that kind of sounds like a uh, a consent decree it wasn't anything like that though it, it was something no, totally different, different financial right
0: although right very uh, very different uh although detroit pd was under a 13-year consent decree so that was something that i had to deal with uh after i got appointed as chief uh 13 years and within one year Uh, we were able to get out from under that consent decree and move on. But uh, as we spoke off air, you know, I started my policing career here in Detroit. And it was in 1977, 20 years, 20 years old uh, when I hit the field. And uh, that was only 10 years after Detroit's 1967 uprising. So it was very significant. The first African-American mayor in the city of Detroit Uh, wanted to do something very different. He wanted the police department to reflect uh, the demographic of the city of Detroit. At at that time, Detroit was probably roughly 75, 70 to 75% Mm African-American, although the police department was predominantly Caucasian, more like 65 to 70%. So he wanted to correct that imbalance. Uh, So I was one of those new officers that got hired. And uh, we had a class that was predominantly African-American and many of the classes during the time that I was hired uh, were mostly uh, African-American. So it was a very different experience, a different time in policing in the seventies, which I remember vividly. But then my uh, career here was cut short. Uh, They laid off 1500 police officers in 1980. And so I had two choices, Uh, Toledo, Ohio was hiring. And then I found out about Los Angeles. So of course, Toledo was like a neighbor of, uh, of Detroit. And I started thinking about snow, the brutal, brutal winters, <laughs> but right. it's only 45 minutes away from Detroit. So it would have mm-hmm. been like staying home. And so I made the right decision, uh, move to the West coast. And, uh, that was the beginning best decision I could have made. I'm. I'm, I'm, I really believe that had it not been for the move, I wouldn't be sitting in this seat right now. So,
1: And, and, and why is that? Is it uh, the, the breadth of assignments you had there, the, uh, uh, the, yes. the leadership? What, what's all
0: that? Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of factors. I think a lot of times when you grow up in an organization uh, and an organization is in need of change, it's hard to change a culture. Right, particularly in a police department. I know based on your years of experience, you know, uh, police departments can be steeped in culture. And if that's all you know, if you happen to rise up through the ranks, uh, very little change will happen because it will be the norm for you. So right. leaving Detroit and then going to Los Angeles was a significant cultural change. And so I was able to impart some of the things I learned in Detroit, even as a police officer in Los Angeles. Uh, And then as I moved up the ranks of the LAPD where I've worked a a diversity of assignments, uh, a lot of field, but also uh, administrative work. And and so it was those dynamics that really uh, exposed me to a diverse background. And so I can go into these different cities uh, and can recognize issues where someone who has a myopic view of policing, very different. Yeah, yeah, very
1: may different. not have that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, getting back to Detroit, what's uh, what's the makeup now as far as the demographics in Detroit? Is, is it still about
0: 75% African-American? Right now it's about 82% African-American. Um, you know, it, in the 70s, uh, particularly after, I was to say, after civil unrest here in Detroit, a lot of uh, the white residents moved out to the suburbs uh, because of the, the subsequent violence during the riot. I mean, subsequent violence after the riot. Because, you know, Detroit historically had been known as a, as a murder city. And so, uh, but what's interesting now, when we look at a city that went through the largest municipal bankruptcy, uh, our, our city's becoming very diverse. Uh, a lot of people are moving back into the city. Uh, there are opportunities here in the city that didn't exist eight years ago. In fact, uh, Chrysler, former FCA, I, I think it's the Celis now. They got uh, a, a new name. Uh, built a new plant here in in the city of Detroit, or expanded an existing plant, uh, resulting in it's going to result in about four thousand jobs to primarily Detroiters. That yeah, didn't happen. Automobile. Oh, yeah. I got to tell you, uh, having, and I started an automobile plant right after high school. In fact, it was not my choice to become a police officer. In fact, it was my goal and aspiration to become an automotive engineer. After graduating high school, I um, went to engineering school and worked on the assembly line uh, in Chrysler here on the east side of Detroit uh, while I matriculated in school. So I took a sharp right turn, if you will, and then joined the the Detroit Police Department, which I have not one regret. Now almost 44 years in the profession, um, I can honestly say um, it's been a great career uh, and I've enjoyed every moment, including our most biggest challenge last year of the um, the uh, days and weeks of protests, yes. managing COVID. I know we'll get to that. At some point uh, in your program. So, but the LAPD was a, an interesting journey. Uh, I was able, based on my background, I, I promoted pretty quick, moved up the ranks. Uh, when I retired, I ended up at the rank of Captain Three. I was running one of um, LA's 21, I think it's 21 or 22 stations now in South LA called Southwest mm-hmm. Division. I was a commanding officer there for uh, almost six years. So I learned a lot in that excitement, but also even before that, as a lieutenant, I had the, the great opportunity and good fortune to work for one of my mentors, Chief Bernard Parks, uh, second African-American yes. chief in the history of the uh, Los Angeles Police Department. So the 18 months I spent with him, I guess is best described. I was like a sponge. Uh, I tried to want... I wanted to understand as a police chief. How do you run a department? Um, and so that was interesting. I've had a couple of mentors along the way, but that would probably be the most significant. And we still stay in touch to this day. And so, um, is is he still in the city council in LA? No, he is off the city council. He's retired. Okay. Um, so right now he's living the the good life of retirement. <laughs> um, but we. Uh,
1: Yeah, we talk
0: often. And I think one of the things uh, he wasn't big on compliments, um, you know, working with him. But he said something to me over the last year, how proud he was of of the work I'm doing here in Detroit. And the fact that not only uh, being here as a chief in Detroit, Michigan, but having served as a chief in both Portland, Maine and Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and I oftentimes tell folks that I mentor and aspiring chiefs uh, that, frankly, I made chief of police from the rank of captain. Uh, and most mm-hmm. organizations, especially the larger the city, uh, that's a that's a big challenge. Um, yeah. Most cities, you, if you're going for a major city, uh, you at least have to have attained the rank of a deputy chief or an assistant chief or having been a, a sitting chief. So I was blessed and fortunate to be able um, to leave LA as a captain and uh, get appointed in the first chief job, uh, Portland, Maine. Now, of course, Portland, Maine is a small city in comparison to LA and Detroit, Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's the largest city in the state of Maine. Um, and so, but the one thing I learned during that part of my journey, whether the department was small, medium, or large, uh, policing leadership is in effect the same. Uh, You still have to deal with the public. You have to manage the public. You have to manage the politics of that town. Uh, Certainly you have to lead the men and women who are serving. Uh, You have to be a, a great collaborator. And so that's been consistent. Uh, in every uh, city I've gone to, so nothing changes. You might have more people, right, and more activity. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then uh, see real quick. I can edit this out, but it looks like one of your PIOs just joined us. So. Okay. Let me make sure that they can hear us. Can Can you hear us,
0: PIO? Yes, we can. Thank you.
1: Okay. All right. Can Can you hear them, Chief?
0: I got them loud and clear. Thanks for joining us. You missed out on all, all right. the good talk. I gave a lot of information. I bet I, I did. I know I was. Oh, know. <laughs> all all right.
1: right. So let's let's get back on onto uh, where we were, Chief. Um, so yeah. you you were born and raised, born and raised in Detroit, correct? Yeah, born
0: and yeah, raised yeah. here.
1: Born and raised.
0: Right. All right. Right. Yeah, I've got a. i
1: got I got a. Yeah, I got a couple got buddies.
0: A okay.
1: I yeah, hear that uh, they were originally from Detroit. Actually, uh, my, my best, one of my best friends' dad was in uh, was in the group, the Originals, out there with Motown. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freddie, yeah, Freddie Gorman was was his name. And, okay. Uh, he actually, yeah, he wrote uh, Mr. Postman and all that. All oh that. yeah. So very familiar yeah, with yeah. that. And
0: yeah, he probably yeah. knew um, my second cousin, and I'm sure you heard of the group, the Four Tops. Oh yeah, and, a little uh, bit.
1: I heard him a little bit.
0: You're a little bit. You heard of Duke, yeah, right? Yeah. Duke was the the leader uh-huh. of the group, and that's my second cousin. And okay. so I'm sure. Yeah, I mean that. Back then, you know, Detroit was the music mecca. Uh, yes, It's, it's yes. kind of going back in that direction now, actually, for the hip hop community. Okay. Yes, oh,
1: yeah. yes, yes. All right. So and, and you know a little bit about hip hop. <laughs> wow, I know a little bit about hip hop.
0: An, an eclectic dude, about- are Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> techno music, uh, which is big here in Detroit. And my first cousin is yeah. also uh, one of the founding uh, members of techno here in Detroit. And so I, I have a little bit of a musical background, but I guess it didn't rub okay. off on me. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but. You like music. You like music. I like music. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I said, growing up here in Detroit, you know, I love music, but also Detroit's known for. You know muscle cars. In, in fact, yes. I just did a um, a video with Dodge. Well, it's called Dodge Garage, uh, just promoting um, the muscle car, the history of the muscle car here in Detroit, and probably like where you're at. And in a lot of major cities, we certainly have had a big challenge with managing the what's now called drifting. Uh, those are the young people that do 360s and intersections. Some want to take over freeways. Yeah. Uh, it used to be a time where it was just illegal street racing, but now they do that and they drift. And so I ended up getting one of these scat pack wide body 392 Challengers because I'm a car guy. I just love high performance. And uh-huh. so uh, they did a video of it. Uh, Dodge was very excited that the chief of police of, of Motown uh, is representing uh with a modern muscle car
1: nice nice yeah yeah i'd love to see that when that comes out is, is that out already or oh, it's out so if you right go now? to
0: dodge if you go to dodge com, and uh you'll see you'll see the video all
1: right i'll definitely check that out so uh we we, we kind of talked about the demographics of detroit How how large is the population of detroit right now
0: well what's interesting when i left here and as I indicated, fifteen hundred police officers laid off in one swoop. Uh, population in was that's about that's got to be 14. like that's got to
1: be like half of a half of a department, right? Fifteen hundred, many, many is yeah.
0: half, and many it's the entire department.
1: But yeah, no that doubt. was a
0: time when we had fifty-five um, hundred sworn members in the department, and so the population in Detroit then was about one point five one point six we were the fifth largest city in the in the country then. Now as our population stands, you know, we're talking about kind of a resurgence here in the city. Um we are sitting at roughly about seven hundred thousand. And we're waiting on a new census uh to come out and hopefully it will reflect uh the people that have moved back into the city of Detroit. And so the the city I I gotta tell you, especially when we look past 2020 and how this great police department managed the weeks and days of protests, uh, firms pay, uh, pay close attention to it. Yeah. Uh, they they saw what we did here. Unlike what you saw images coming out of Seattle and Portland, riots, buildings burning, uh, the, the sad state of affairs that happened in Chicago uh, when Miracle Mile uh, was attacked. Uh, those high-end stores looted, businesses are are, are sick and tired. Uh, They want their law enforcement to be out there and, and keep the city safe, not pander to politics. And that's something I've been very vocal about. You know, yeah, we support your right to free speech. We always have and always will, but what we will, there is no constitutional right to engage in criminal behavior. And I could care what your ideology is. You come to Detroit. uh, I said a couple of things uh, during those weeks of protests. One, we don't retreat here in Detroit. Not what you saw in places where, uh, for Seattle, for example, uh, police officers being made to retreat from a police station. And then six city blocks taking over by a group. And say you're no longer welcome here. And then crimes being committed and the police weren't even allowed to go in and conduct a proper investigation. Who allows that to happen? Yeah. So it no. didn't happen here in Detroit. And there are a lot of reasons why it didn't happen in Detroit. Um, but leadership sits right at the top of the list. Yes. Relationships with our community who respect and trust the police department. Not the outside agitators that decide they want to come into Detroit and try to promote violence and rioting. It didn't happen here. And when they tried to take over a, a city block, uh, we gave them a couple of warnings, uh, and then we made some arrests. Not going to tolerate that.
1: No, as we shouldn't.
0: And, and and it's unfortunate. And Dale, I know you know this. Um, Their cities that where were the police officers? Mm-hmm. They were riding. Mm-hmm. and see, and I gotta tell you, and I, and I guess for me, my view of the world might be somewhat different. Uh, when I was a Sergeant in LA, when the unrest broke out in LA, aftermath of Rodney King, it was a dark day for the LAPD, this great police department. And the dark day was at the beginning of the civil unrest in LA, the intersection of Florence and Normandy, I'm sure you remember, the police officers retreated, they retreated. And they actually let the rioters take over. And it wasn't until a day or so later that the LAPD started to try to get control, but it was an interesting time in LA. You had a mayor and police chief didn't talk to each other, didn't like each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that was a contributing factor of how this thing was managed during the early hours, or should I say mismanaged.
1: Was that uh, Gates and
0: Bradley? That was Gates and and Bradley. As you know, Bradley was uh, the first African-American chief Mm -hmm. uh, in the history of Los Angeles. Uh, He retired from the LAPD as a lieutenant, the rank of lieutenant. He then went on to go to city council uh, and then uh, became mayor of of LA. Uh, But that was a big factor and you know chief great gates having worked for him uh was proud of the lapd Uh, i know it was a dark day for him uh when the lapd retreated that was unheard of so i never forgot it so when i saw cities where police officers were retreating from places where criminal behavior was taking place uh and the same tactic they were using in all these other cities uh they did try to use it here in Detroit. Uh, no tolerance for that
1: no tolerance
0: zero. and so people wanted to know why is detroit so different what did you do differently that we're not seeing in these other cities and so of course there are, there are a lot of factors and dale you know right now with the defund the police movement and how some who sit in elected seats embrace some of the nonsense uh embrace mm-hmm. the fact that Police officers as of a profession as a whole, are rogue, and are in need of uh, uh, re-envisioning uh, what policing right. should look like. And right, that's a new term. Yeah, but the thing is, that may apply for some departments, but you just can't paint an entire profession with a broad Correct. brush. Just like you can't say that a white police officer gets involved in an officer-involved shooting and the suspect's african-american there's this presumption that's a bad shooting who's who right. does that where where's no. no due process i mean so those are the battles that american police chiefs are grappling with today uh and so it does take leadership it does take courage uh to able to get up uh and put out the right narrative uh You know, Dale, we had something interesting happen during the weeks of protests. We had a a two week period. I mean, it's no secret around this country that aggression uh, by violent suspects uh, against police officers has increased substantially. We know it. Uh, We asked why. Uh, I think a contributing factor certainly is the anti-police rhetoric. Uh, I think it's also the court's response to no bail, low bail for violent mm-hmm. offenses. And so uh, the most violent in our communities, uh, they're incentivized. right? And so they have no respect for what we do. And I'm not saying this is reflective of all, but we have to say what we have to say. So we know that the movement uh, that many of our cities experienced uh, over the summers, many of the agitators in, uh, among, what was some of these peaceful protesters were focused Mm -hmm. on one thing, putting out false narratives and trying to drive violence. So uh, during that period, uh, we had an individual, we were in the middle of an enforcement um, stop. And during the stop, a suspect who was not even involved in the stop came up and within a split second, removed a revolver from his, uh, no small caliber, um, uh, semi-automatic, weapon from his pocket, and within three feet of the officer fired at him several times. It's only by the grace of God, within three feet, the gun was pointed at the officer's head. He was not hit by gunfire. However, uh, the other officers who were at the scene, seeing this, responded to this imminent threat, uh, and they ended up, um, it was a fatal shooting, but what happened after that was the most troubling, was the fact that. A local group here called Detroit Will Breathe, a subset of uh, Black Lives Matter, began to put out a narrative that countered a briefing I did within one hour of the shooting. And what I just explained to you is what I told the community because I knew the facts. Mm -hmm. Well, they put out uh, within 45 minutes of my briefing that uh, the Detroit police just shot young man they had two accounts one one case they said we shot him 15 times another said 19 times he wasn't doing anything uh one scenario yeah Yeah, he wasn't doing anything sitting on his porch just chilling and we we basically assassinated him that and so you can imagine what happened next uh, they were able to mobilize a very angry crowd of people Uh, numbering in the excess of 300 uh, in the beginning, they decided to march from the scene of where uh, the suspect was shot uh, to our 12th precinct. And their plan was undoubtedly they were going to take over the station. So what worked well next is as this was going on, we were able to retrieve the officers' body-worn cameras footage, And Mm -hmm. I was able to put it out to the media, social media, narrate what happened to refute the false narrative. And immediately half of the uh, angry crowd dispersed and they didn't show up the next day. So that's an example of what we deal with today is staying ahead Mm -hmm. of the potential for a false narrative. But also, as I have you know, uh, to aspiring chiefs and and to other chiefs who want to understand, I say it's so important, so, so important uh, to get out very quickly, remain transparent, but most importantly, don't start trying to build a relationship with a community when something bad happens. It's going to be too late. You just can't do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are all these fires that we got to put out nowadays, because uh, you know social media is the is the driving force be- behind a lot of this stuff. Uh, on the flip right. side, though, uh, w- without social media, a-, a lot of these things wouldn't have been brought to light, and some of these things do need to be brought to light. So, uh, it, it's a double ed- it's a double edged sword, double edged sword there.
0: And and, you, and Dale, you bring up a good point. I think it's also important that those who sit in the seat of leadership. Understand that when the bad happens, and the bad will happen, you own it, you're transparent with it, yep. and don't shade the truth. When you do that, people will embrace you. You know, I think about the uh, Laquan McDonald situation as that as sh- happened in Chicago some years back under okay. a former administration. Uh, they held that video well over a year until they were forced to release it. Well, Rahm Emanuel was the, the mayor then. He didn't want that video to surface. He was up for reelection. He didn't want that video to come out. And so when it did come out, what did it show? It showed, frankly, that um, the young man was shot in the back and unarmed. What do you think that did to the community? What do you think happened?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that just blew up and it is a powder keg right there what right
0: it was a powder keg and i gotta tell you in my judgment i still think the city of chicago is still healing from that incident i think the wounds are still open and i think we've seen it in recent events
1: yeah yeah it's terrible and you know uh, chicago's they've got their hands full with with all the shootings going on out there, just, you know, just like a lot of American cities. Uh, so, you know, get blessed, God bless those officers out there dealing with that on, on the right. daily. Uh, how, how's your, your, uh, your incidence of, 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 violence in Detroit? Is, is it kind of getting under control, uh, since your administration's took take office?
0: Well, we, we saw a steady decline in, in violence here, uh, during this administration, but like most cities across America, uh, when the pandemic hit uh weeks and days of protests all of us saw an uptick in violence uh yeah. there have been in some cities uh levels that that uh looked like it did in the, in the late 80s and early 90s even my old home of LA saw a substantial uptick in violence there was a point that LA's uh, murder rate Was on par with ours, a city a quarter of the size of Los Angeles, and you know, for a long time, New York was one of the safest big cities in America. Mm -hmm. But now they they've seen an uptick in violence. But there are a lot of things we can point to, and I touched on a few of them, Dale. I mean, certainly the pandemic sits right at the top of my list. The impact that's had uh, on our communities, Um, and so that's one issue. Then. The compassionate releases uh, from those who are incarcerated who probably shouldn't be released. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, I understand. The whole idea of compassionate release, but if you're going to release someone, uh, release someone who maybe has committed property crime or, or drug abuse. Exactly. If, But someone who has been involved in shootings and has a pattern of violence, can somebody just take a look? at the person's background and and make a good judgment call as to who should be released. Then you got the judges, not just here in Detroit. uh, My colleague over in uh, Art Acevedo, who came from uh, California, who's a chief in Houston, he talks about a story where an individual um, was arrested for murder, no bond. They are releasing violent suspects back into the communities. So when you talk about what's driving violence, first thing people want to do, and you haven't been in law enforcement 20 years, they want to first blame who? Us. Mm -hmm. There's more to the us. We got prosecutors. We got the courts. And I'm not saying that we should always be in alignment. But when you see factors where someone needs to be remanded, because releasing them back into the community uh is a safety issue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A, a lot of those prosecutors see, you know, they 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 want to keep their their uh, prosecution uh rate intact. In so if it's not 100% slam dunk, you know, they'll, they'll they'll punt on it. Uh some some prosecutors uh you know have that I know out here in LA that the new DA that uh was just Before- uh Former police officer yep. too, right? Okay, yeah. So, so I know you know about that story where he's he's yep. uh, prohibiting his staff from going after you know death penalty and enhancements and things like that. So, you know, it, it's it's across the board where that's happening.
0: Yeah, I think the last I heard about what's going on in L.A. is that uh, the courts uh, stopped him.
1: Yeah, they, from an injunction.
0: Uh, yep, Yeah, an injunction because. As a prosecutor, you can't make laws. You, right. you just can't go make them up as you go. Uh, you have right. a, a duty obligation to enforce the law. Just like I don't make the mm-hmm. laws, but I get to enforce the law.
1: Yeah, You know, yeah. so
0: very interesting what you see happening in in, uh, in L.A.
1: Yeah, I, I think his, his tact was uh, they're they're not making the laws. He's just making sure that his staff doesn't pursue any enhancements. You know, uh, whatever they're charged with is what they're charged with. But if they're not, uh, if, if the if the prosecutors, if the ADAs don't go after any enhancements, then, you know, no, no harm, no foul is what he's thinking.
0: It's called a progressive response to the behavior. So if a guy right. goes out and commits an armed robbery and he gets done with that, gets caught again with an armed robbery, so we should just treat it the same. No, but the bottom line is it you know he didn't learn we'll the first the time first of all, huh? He didn't he learn didn't, the first time first of he didn't all, learn yeah. the first time that's why enhancements are important, yep, you know yep uh, so we we are in some very uh challenging times in our profession. you know, I had the chance to sit on uh major city chiefs, so I sit down with chiefs of other major cities from across this country quarterly, and it's amazing. How the issues are the same all over. They're the same. Some worse than yeah. others.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So I, I know you mentioned uh, before we got started here that uh, that you lost an officer uh, just last night. Uh, if, if you want to yeah. uh, give a shout out to to that officer and, and his family as well. Yeah, I want
0: to well. uh, yeah, give a shout out to um, Sergeant John Fissett. I mean, I mean, what a uh, known as a cop's cop. 30 years on, young man, 54 years old. Uh, He worked our Harbor Master unit. Uh, He also was a bomb tech, highly respected by our FBI partners, uh, truly a loss to our organization. And so um, we just ask for everyone's uh, thoughts and prayers for his family, both his family and his uh, DPD family.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. And Thank uh, you. and and COVID, COVID. So I know that that's we were talking about the pandemic, but we didn't really think uh, I, get I think I froze uh, exactly up. on that. Yeah. Can you can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I got you now. Right.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, back back to the question. COVID. So how how's COVID affected your department in your city?
0: Well, you know, I'm, Dale, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, at one point, it ravaged. The city and the police department. Uh, I'm a COVID survivor. Uh, I got it during the early, uh, doing when it was first when they first realized mm-hmm. what it was, and that was in March of last yep. year. Fortunately, I didn't go to the hospital. I, I was very ill, uh, but during the same time, at one point, we had 650 officers quarantined, Well, 650 yeah. members of the department quarantined, which, as you can imagine. Uh, it was a big chunk out of our department, so we had to redeploy Mm -hmm. a number of our officers from support functions to backfill uh, the vacant patrol slots because, you know, that's the most important part of what we do is making sure that we can uh, handle emergency costs of service. The good news is uh, we didn't miss miss a beat, Uh, but it was a very challenging time. And then... On the heels of that, we went right into the 120 plus days of protest, and so uh, it was a challenging time, no doubt.
1: Yeah, it is, it still is, still is uh, has the vaccine made its way made it made its way to Detroit?
0: It has, and in fact, uh, I just got my second vaccine uh, three weeks ago. Uh, I'm glad that our police department uh, as first responders, you know, um, uh, are getting a vaccine and I'm not certain, but I hope now that the LAPD and other law enforcement agencies, uh, in, in California are being vaccinated. Is that, the, is that a case?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I work for a smaller department and, uh, I I've already had my second vaccine. So I would, oh, I would hope that, uh, that LA has gotten it. Which, which, uh, vaccine did you get the Moderna or the Pfizer or the, the uh, the Pfizer,
0: the Pfizer. So I, had a okay. little, I had a response to it and, and I don't know if it's because yeah, I had here. COVID. Oh, you had a response to it as well.
1: Yeah. And I had the Moderna. So,
0: oh, you had Moderna. Okay. Okay.
1: And then I had a response to that. Um, hmm. it wasn't major. I mean, I had the, the first night I got, I had chills. I mean, right. like uncontrollable, you know, shakes. And then the second night, this, the same thing, but it was a little bit less, and and of course the the shot in the arm felt like you know I got a Clayton Kershaw fastball to my arm you know exactly. for like three days so right right <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, but you know I'm vaccinated feeling good now I can lift my arm so that's good so I'm, I'm good to go and and hopefully hopefully everybody can get uh, vaccinated so we can get back to some sort some sense of normalcy right you know there's there's a million and one things I miss doing right now that we we can't do until right. until this COVID's wiped out you know.
0: Well, I'm I'm hoping uh, more and more police officers make the decision. You know, we we certainly don't mandate it. Uh, We encourage it. Um, We've made a couple of videos just to encourage our officers to get the vaccine um, because it really, um, we just lost a sheriff. Um, Sheriff Benny Napoleon uh, about a month ago now uh, to COVID. Uh, he, he was a former chief here in Detroit many, many years ago. He was a sitting sheriff in Wayne County, and uh, he had a difficult time with COVID. And uh, his brother, who was also a Detroit police officer and um, former chief of a smaller city here in Michigan, uh, he had a very difficult time with COVID, was hospitalized for a while, uh, but he's still in recovery. So uh, All right. yeah. yeah, So it, it's hit yeah. us pretty hard.
1: Yep, everybody, everybody get that vaccine uh, so that we can, like I said, return to, to some sense of normalcy. Absolutely. Um, sooner rather than later. Sooner right. Rather than later. So, Chief, uh, what's what's one of the more uh, uh, rewarding parts of your job as as chief of police?
0: You know, what I enjoy most is when I can stand up and support the men and women who do this. Today, very difficult job. It doesn't happen often. It doesn't come out of the mouths of those, many of those who sit in in elected seats, unfortunately. Uh, That's why you look at some of these cities and um, they're leaving. Minneapolis, now they want to rehire the police officers that they ran out. (laughs)
1: Right, go figure.
0: The police officers don't feel like they're supported there. And so this is... This is not a heavy lift. This is not difficult to figure out. You don't support the vast majority in our profession. Do it right. Honest, courageous. How difficult is it to stand up and support the people that keep us safe? It's not that difficult at all. And so we let the few that have a different view speak for all of society it's It's ridiculous, yeah, and so yep. j- just last week I took the opportunity because we know what drives news is usually the bad, usually if we have to use fatal force yep. Yep. that drives news um but what about the events that oftentimes gets overlooked the the public never knows about what is it like to be a uh a Detroit police officer. So I had something happen recently um, when I was in LA, um, and I'm sure you know the the A-list actor Denzel Washington. Uh, Denzel Washington uh, was making a movie called Ricochet. Uh, this is back in the mm-hmm. '90s, early '90s, uh, and he I wanted to write a. Writer. Huh. I remember that movie well. Right, right, great movie and uh, he needed to go out with a Los Angeles police officer because part of the role he was playing, as you know, was a police officer. And so we spent eight hours together. Uh, I was a Sergeant then, and I responded to a call of a armed person suffering from mental illness. He remembered it better than I did, but at any rate, um, the way Denzel describes it, he remembered that situation because I de-escalated a situation that I could have very easily opted to use Fatal Force. And so recently I was in social media and he was doing an interview relative to this new movie. I think it's called The Little Things, is his, his most recent work. Right. And right. The, the journalist was asking him about his experience in playing police roles, and he started to reflect on the time he went out with a sergeant and how this sergeant ended up de-escalating the situation. So I said, he's talking about me. So uh, we went through his publicist, publicist was able to get in contact with him and Denzel called me, It's probably been about four weeks now. Uh, and we spoke on the phone for about an hour and a half. Just talking about you know um, what he talked about on that day, how much I appreciated him using that as an example, because also in that same interview, Dale, he said, you know I don't care about these folks that want to bash the police and the military. I do care and understand that not all police officers are bad. The one that murdered George Floyd, we understand that, but the vast majority of them are good. And what that sergeant did on that day has stuck with me uh, all this time. So I was personally moved by that. But I took it a, a step further, Dale, yeah. because I didn't have the recall on it. And that was a routine situation for me. Uh huh. So, of course, there are things that we remember along our, our journey that we'll never forget but that wasn't really one of them. I remember going out on an yeah. eight hour ride along with him, but but as I began to reflect on what Denzel said and, and, and certainly my time, I then became aware of a situation here in Detroit where officers got a 911 call, they responded to domestic and the caller believed that her husband was gonna kill her children. And her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she called back said please he's got the gun and she was talking in a very low voice so he couldn't hear but to make a short story, the uh, story when our police officers got there she started screaming they knew that he was armed with a gun and as they made entry uh they noticed that he did in fact have a gun pointed at the wife his 10 year old son was on his back trying to pull uh, the father away from the mother so he wouldn't shoot. Wow. And they were able to deescalate that situation without incident, took him into custody. And I think the most touching part of this encounter, not to mention the fact that this was certainly uh, a phenomenal act of heroism, but the fact that uh, one of the children in the house, you could see it on a body-worn camera, came up uh, crying and thanking the police for saving their life. And so I was able to do public recognition of these officers. I gave them a chief citation. Uh, we went on social media with it, local news carried it. And then we showed the video and uh, it was powerful. But my yeah, point you can is, imagine. it's so much of that that happens that American police officers do each and every day that never makes the news. It never makes social media. And so I'm committed. When you talk about showing support, this is the way you show support. This is the way you remind the community. Because going back to the Denzel story, to me, it was routine. To him, it was significant. To him, it reminded him this is what they do they put their lives in in, and things could change in a matter of a split second. And so sometimes the community has to be educated on what we do and what better way to do it. And uh, I know that the officers appreciated it. Uh, The feedback from the community was phenomenal. Um, Even one of the anchors on the local news station and she was uh, airing the story, uh, she started to sob. She broke down wow wow it was a wow. powerful story powerful yeah story.
1: that sounds like it yeah. i'm gonna have to check that one out i hadn't heard okay. that story but <clears throat> excuse me but i'm about to check that out okay. and uh like you were talking about uh the the news really they want to get the sensational stories out there and and, and the, the average every day this, this is obviously more than the average every day but what we go out there and do on the daily doesn't make news because it, it's not sensational it's, it doesn't you know, generate clicks or outrage. So, right. um, you know, they talk about what happened to George Floyd and if the officers um, would have de-escalated or, or intervened. that's, that's the, that's the thing that they're talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me on that. If they would have just intervened then that wouldn't happen. I was like, you know, that happens every day. Right. You know, officers step in uh, for their partners all the time. Hey, Hey partner, let me, let me do this. I got this for you. And, right. but of course that doesn't make the news because that's, Never. you know, <laughs> Yeah. And then all of make a sudden, news, but...
0: every police agency in the country is a George Floyd type department. Right. Right. You know, again, yeah. painting our profession with a broad brush. And so, but I'll be candid. It's disappointing when I don't see many others who sit in this seat standing up in a bold voice denouncing the rhetoric. Yeah. You know, th- I mean standing up with conviction and it just doesn't happen. And yeah. so uh, I'm unapologetic when I go on national Fox or WGN uh, news nation, and I get to stand up and remind the viewing audience that this doesn't reflect every police officer in America. What happened no. was bad. Yep. We call it such. We take appropriate and swift action. We reassure our community that this is what we, we will not tolerate. But um, but again, when we do it right, and we do it right more times than not, let's make sure we applaud the officers.
1: No doubt, no doubt. And again, painting that broad brush, you know, back when things were happening in the, in the Catholic Church, we all knew that every, every priest wasn't like that. You know, it was, it was those, those few that needed to be dealt with. You know, right. politicians, uh, doctors, you know, like when, when you hear doctors and nurses that are that are out killing their patients. We all know that all doctors and nurses aren't actually out there doing that. So uh, paint, paint right. us with the with that same uh, paintbrush of respect that you do them. Uh, and and right. we appreciate it. We appreciate that. All right, Chief. OK. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love this discussion we had with you today. I really appreciate yes, you coming this- on.
0: Well, this was good, Dale, and uh, yeah. I wish you the very best. Uh, again, as I started the program out, you no know, applauding you for your leadership in the profession, uh, bringing on people that can give different views about what we do and how we do it. Uh, the fact that you're one of those American heroes that's been serving in excess of 20 years. So I, I applaud you for your years of service. Thank, thank you. And, thank and you. respect
1: you for that. Thank you, thank you, but uh, you know I don't I don't want to end it on the on the, on a low note. So uh, we're not done yet, Chief. I got a game for you, a little trivia game here for you. It's uh, Motown related, and we call this
0: Barry uh, Gordy.
1: So this is going to be called uh, Motown or No Town. I'm just going to give you an act, an artist. And you just tell me how they ever worked for Motown, Motown Records, or any affiliate thereof. It should be pretty easy for you. Here's your first one. About Stevie Wonder, have you ever been on uh, Motown?
0: Uh, I want to say, ooh, that's a tough one. I know he's in California now. Hey, I'm going to go with a yes.
1: Yes. That's where he started on Motown. Yes, yes. How about uh, Queen Latifah? Has she ever been on Motown Records?
0: Not that I'm aware of. And yeah, that New is York. correct.
1: That is correct. She has never been a part of Motown Records. How about uh, Prince? Prince ever been on Motown?
0: I want to say no.
1: That is correct. He has never been on Motown. You know, he had that big falling out with his record label. Yep. I think that was Warner a few years right. back. Rest in peace, Prince, uh, my favorite artist of all time. How about uh, Aretha Franklin?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. uh, Unfortunately, she has never been a part of Motown. Unfortunately, she. She, she, she. she Because I know she's
0: connected to, was connected to Barry Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. About the
1: Supremes. Yeah, the Supremes. Supremes. Yes, the Supremes were definitely. That's all right. You only got got one wrong. That's all right. You can't be yeah. perfect. Here, how about your next one here? How about Johnny Gill?
0: Wow, that's a good one. I'm not certain about Johnny Gill. But my... What's that yes. Say?
1: Yeah. Oh, there you go. All right. You pulled that one out of your head. Yes. How about LL yeah. Cool J? LL Cool J.
0: My man's from Los Angeles. No, that's a big no.
1: <laughs> that is a no. He has never (laughs) been on Motown He was on Def Jam And probably some other ones But never Motown How about Beyonce
0: I'm gonna say no New York That is
1: correct Yep Never been on Never been on A couple more here for you How about The great Michael McDonald Yes Yeah (laughs) Yeah Pull that one out the hat too. Yes, he he was a part of Motown, and your last one here. This one should be a shoe in for you. How about the Jackson Five?
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yes, indeed. You got the only one wrong, so we're gonna call you. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. The winner, everybody chief, right.
0: you are the winner. Go up. All so right, chief. My yes, prize sir. is that since I won a round-trip ticket to sunny Southern California, all expenses paid, <laughs> temperature's got to be at least 80 degrees. Yeah, right now, yeah. The temperature the day is, we're sitting at about 26, 27 degrees. Oh, right now. no. Yeah, and I'm see, looking after... out the window, and, and there's some snow on the ground.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me see. Let me look on my watch right now. It is, is only 65 degrees out here where I'm at. And, uh, but you know, I'm on you know, I got short sleeves, only 65. Right. I'm about to go out and enjoy the sunshine, run some errands. Cause I'm off today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, that's, right. you, we, we pay for the sunshine out here, chief. We pay for the sunshine. So
0: as you do, yes, you do. Yes, we do.
1: Yeah. All right, All right chief. Ready, I appreciate you coming on. This is, this is real good. And, uh, you be safe okay. out there. Wash your hands, mask up and, uh, we'll talk soon.
0: All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Now that, ladies and gentlemen, was an outstanding conversation with Detroit Police Chief James Craig. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with the chief. If you did, hey, please like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you happen to be listening to right now. I'll be back right here in two weeks with another interview with one of America's finest, but till then, come on now, say it with me. Stay black and blue. I'm about this thing. Peace. This has been a Major Entertainment
0: presentation.